A very good morning uh, to all of you. My name is Kelvin, and uh, I've been with Grace for a short time. <laughs> well, firstly, I'd like to introduce my wife first. Uh, my wife is Ai Wei. Um, you know, both of us are pretty shy, okay? So, so I won't make us stand, uh, but uh, together we've been married a uh, total of 23 years, okay? Some people say that I look really young, uh, but, well, I've crossed, you know, into an interesting phase of my life called the Young Seniors, as in, maybe many of us have joined me as well, yeah, but uh, we've been happily married and we have three children and, uh, you know, they're all pretty, um, not too mature yet, but, uh, you know, we hope that our children, you know, in their late teens, they'll be, they'll be uh, uh, mature, but, you know, it's still challenging, yeah, but God is good, amen? Amen. amen. Firstly, thank you, uh, Pastor Gideon, and uh, as well as the worship team uh, for the kind introduction for allowing us uh, to be brought into, really, God's presence this morning. I'd like to begin with a story that happened 40 years ago, all right? 40 years ago. It's a long, long time. You see, 40, 40 years ago, there was a mother of two very young children. And something terrible happened to her because her husband abandoned her. And suddenly, she was left with no money, no roof over her head. And one Sunday, she decided she needed hope. And she, and she walked into a church that she often passed by on her way to the market. And so she brought her two young boys along with her. And for three Sundays, they attended church. After that, they moved away to a further away place, to a rental flat, and they were not able to attend church anymore. But just that three Sundays alone, her youngest son knew that church was a place that he could find hope, that people can find hope, that people could, that church is a place where they could see and understand that as they come to that very place, that church is a place where they can find Jesus and hope. Ten years later, ten years later, this young little boy grew up to a late teen and he answered a call to full-time ministry. And then 40 years later, this young boy, no longer a teen, has grown up so about this size and this height, and it's right now, right here, preaching to you on stage in the same church, in the same place, the same geographical location. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, God is a faithful God, and my life is truly a testament of God's faithfulness. It's a testament of how I see that God is faithful and that He will never, never abandon us. Now, this morning, I count it a, truly a privilege and honor to be speaking to you on, on this pulpit. You know, we are on a four-part preaching series, on an investigate series on human flourishing. And Pastor Wilson kicked off the series two weeks ago by inspiring us towards physical wellness so that we can go the distance for God's kingdom. And last week, Sister Wanling encouraged us towards godly relationships. And this week, I'll be speaking about financial wellness. You know, the big idea here is God wants us to handle our finance to reflect His generosity. And I will be sharing on the three biblical foundations needed for financial wellness. But allow me to put this forward right at the beginning. This message is not about how to make you richer or how you can retire earlier. Many of us want that. Rather, 
I endeavor for us to gain a biblical understanding of money so that we can find the spiritual compass to deploy the resources that God has given to us so that, and so that we can use it for His glory. This is true financial wellness. But before we proceed further, allow me to ask you a couple of questions, okay? And tell your neighbor, be very honest. Can you tell your neighbor, be very honest? <laughs> okay, let me show you the first, first question. How many of you want a higher income? <clears throat> yeah, I see some hands, okay? Just some hands only, okay? Pastors of grace, you can lift up your hands higher. Your boss is right, sitting right here. <laughs> oh, you're raising your hands too. Okay, the, the board of uh, grace is sitting right here too. <laughs> many of us hope to have a higher income. Second question. How many of you hope to have a higher bonus at the end of the year? I want to lift up my legs too, if I could. <laughs> and the last question. How many of you are interested to grow your wealth? Yes? Many of us. All right, many of us, if not all of us. And for those of us who are really, really honest, you know, the reality is that we all hope to make more money, right? We hope to have more, you know, so that we can fulfill some wishes that we have, maybe like going for a holiday, or maybe to give our families a better life, or an acquisition that we've always wanted. Or it could be to prepare for some life milestones like getting married, you know, retiring, or just knowing that we are sufficient when we have to stop work. However, if we are not careful, we might slip into the trap of constantly chasing after more and more and more. And this is even more pronounced in my industry, where on a daily basis, I'm looking at numbers and advising my clients on money matters. How can then we achieve true financial wellness as God desires? You know, money is a very important topic in the Bible. You know, after all, it was mentioned more than 100 times, really depending on the version of the Bible that we're referring to. But I submit to you three biblical foundations of financial wellness. And the first is God owns everything. God owns everything. And let's look at two passages. Firstly, Psalms 24 verse 1. It says this, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. Jeremiah continues, and he says this, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own, and it is not for man to direct his steps. You see, Psalm 24 begins by proclaiming that the earth belongs to the Lord, including everything, and every, every person in the world, if you look to the person to your left, to the right, to the front, to the back, he or she belongs to the Lord. And Jeremiah emphasizes this point with regard to who really owns us. You see, his ultimate ownership of the, of the entire earth is derived from the fact that he created it in the very first place. 
You see, there is a story of a woman who has just finished her shopping. And she was going back to a car, you know, with her two hands full. And as she arrived at the car, suddenly she saw that there were four big-sized men sitting in her car. And without, without further ado, she dropped her shopping, her shopping bags. She whipped out her gun. Of course, this doesn't happen in Singapore, right? And then she pointed the gun at one of the men and said that, hey, you know, I know how to use the gun. This is my car. Get out now. Without waiting any second, they flipped the doors open and they ran like crazy. Gathering her composure, this, this, this lady, you know, she picked up her shopping bags and then, you know, she sat in the car and breathing after, after calming her, her nerves down slightly and then she put her key into the ignition and then she tried to turn and then try as she may, she could not turn her ignition key and suddenly it struck her. This is my car. This ain't my car. And then looking around, she saw her car parked four, four lots away. You know, and the next thing she did was that you know, she got out, went to her car, and she, the, the immediate thing that she did was to drive to the, her, uh, the police station to report the case. And, uh, and as, she, as she spoke to the police uh, sergeant who was attending to her, as, as she related to him what was happening, the, the sergeant suddenly broke out in laughter. And, and then this police sergeant pointed to her to the other side of the room, and she pointed there was four big burly men who was reporting a case of carjacking. <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, in our lives, we consider that the things that we own really belong to us. Just like this lady who thought the car belonged to her. You know, consider the things that we own. Consider the things that we think we own. The monies in our bank, the vehicles that we drive, the, property, the properties that we own, stocks, shares, bonds, whatever it is, God owns all of them. And let us not be mistaken like that lady that they belong to us. You know, but you might, say, you, might, you might say to me, Kelvin, you know, Kelvin, you know, I've worked hard for all of this. You know, I've worked long hours. I've clocked, you know, many sleepless nights to achieve all these KPIs. Yes, it might have been true, but yet we need to embrace the reality that God owns everything. And He alone has enabled us to be able to work. You see, this is what Deuteronomy says in chapter 8, verse 17 to 18. He said this, He did this so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. You see, if we are convinced that we are the owner, then we are constantly going to be in conflict with the things that we think that we have. If we, if we think that they are ours, we will guard over them, we will protect them, and we will find it very difficult to release the things that we think we own. 
But when we understand that the, when the Lord God is the true owner of everything that we have, and that we are only just but a manager, a steward, the conflict disappears, and freedom from money overtakes our life. See, when I was serving as a full-time pastor in my previous church, you know, I received different amounts of gifts from the church members. You know, but there was one lady who truly understood what it means for God to own everything. You see, this lady was a professional, you know, just an ordinary professional in a trade. She was a, and she lived a very simple life. And she was also a leader uh, in, a, in, in our church. And so one day, you know, she said, hey, Pastor Kelvin, you know, I want to meet you. You know, sometimes, you know, when uh, uh, a church member wants to meet you, right, it's like, mm, wow, something must have happened, right? Something serious must have happened. So I said, sure, let's meet. So we arranged for a meeting before, uh, before our Sunday service. And so as we met that day, uh, we sat down. And, uh, you know, we had initially some uh, chit-chat and uh, just catching up on what's happening. And then suddenly, her facial expression changed from one of, you know, of casualness to one who became very serious. And I said, and I told myself, it's coming. It's really coming very soon. And so she said to me, you know, Pastor Kelvin, God told me to tell you something. So I said, wow, that's, that's getting more serious. And the next thing she said this, she said that, you know, I've been praying about this. I've been struggling for many, many weeks. And she said this, God told me to give you my car. God told me to give you my car. And like many of you, I see your expressions here, huh? What car? <laughs> what car, right? And that's what I asked, uh, and, and I said, what car? You know, uh, is it some remote control car? I know she don't play remote control car. You know, some model car? I don't think she does. And then I clarified, you know, what car? And, she, and then she said to me, the very car that I drove to church this morning, God has told me to give it to you. She continued to share with me that she struggled for so, so many weeks. So many weeks. She said, God, is it real? Are you, you, know, are you really speaking to me? But she said that finally, she surrendered to God because she knew that that was what God wanted for her to do. She acknowledged that the car didn't really belong to her in the first place. And God was free to do whatever he wanted to do with the car. And two months later, I was the proud owner of a six-year-old car, fully paid up, transferred ownership entirely to me, no installment. Truly, God is good. God is truly the owner of everything. You see, the value and worth of the car became totally unimportant to her because she knew and she understood that it didn't really belong to her in the first place. She knew where the car came from, and that was God. And it was not for her to keep if God says to give. See, God owns everything in her life, and so it is with yours and mine. And when we are truly convinced of this truth, we can flourish well as humans as we no longer hold tight to the things that we deem to have value and hold on us. Friends, this morning, what are some things in your life 
that you find so hard to let go. May you find freedom as you embrace the God who owns everything. The second biblical foundation for financial wellness is that God determines our portion. God determines our portion. See, not only must we understand that God owns everything, He gets to decide how much to give to you and I. While He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, you will be foolishly presumptuous that He will give all of it to us. In addition, our portion looks really different from others. So why is our portion different from others? Let's look at a parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 to 30. But reading only verses 14 to 15, and this is what Matthew says. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and then entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, and then he gave two bags of silver to another, and then one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Without going in depth into the parable, the master had three servants, and he gave them different bags of silver. One was given five, one was given two, and the last was given just one. You know, was the reason because he favored one servant over the other? Or was it, or was the reason because one servant happened to be luckier than the other? No, it is, it is because the master alone knew how much each of his servants could handle. And so it is with us. God gives us in proportion to our own abilities in accordance to how much you and I can handle. You know, sometimes our mental script dictates that because God loves others more than me, so he gives more to, to others. Isn't that true? Or sometimes our mental script says that because I've sinned against him, and so God, gives, God blesses me lesser than others. But these are falsehoods that we must reject. Rather, we must come to embrace what the Bible says about our hearts. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. This is what Jeremiah says. The human heart, all right? The human heart. Your heart, my heart, is what? The most deceitful of all things. The most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Friends, because our hearts... Uh, itself is deceitful. We do not know how we do not know ourselves as much as God knows us. Isn't that true? See, He alone knows our heart and our ability to handle wealth. And when we acknowledge that God determines our portion, we can truly rest in His provision. We can also avert a life of strife and greed. You see, God does not want us to compare our portions because, because either you will make us feel good or make us feel really bad. And there's no in-between. And this sense of pride or insecurity can open the door for the enemy, making us vulnerable to envy, to pride, to jealousy, all of which draws us away from God. 
You know, an important truth that I learned 12 years ago is that God is my paymaster. That God is my paymaster, not my company, not my clients, or even how hard I work. You see, 12 years ago, I went through what I call a crisis of faith. For more than 13 years, I was serving as a full-time pastor in my, in my previous church. And God told me, you know, Kelvin, you talk about faith to people. You preach about faith to people. You encourage and you challenge people to walk the walk of faith. But how about you? I was challenged and I decided to tender my resignation. And without a job, with pretty much little savings, and with no marketplace experience, I left the church, entered into the marketplace, not having a job. The first job came, the first offer came to me, and God says no to that job. And that job was offering me three times my last drawn salary as a pastor. And God says, don't take out that job. Instead, God said to me, you, I want you to embark on a financial, financial advisory career. In the, first, in the very first year in my practice, on some months, I only saw tens of dollars credited into my bank account. On certain months, I saw hundreds of dollars credited into my bank account. And I was asking myself, how am I going to feed my family? And at that time, my children were still pretty young. But God said to me, wait on me, because there is and there will be a reward of faith coming to you. Twelve years down the road, you know, I've seen that God has been a faithful God. He's provided for me more than enough for my family and myself. Secondly, for the last 10 years, you know, God has rewarded my career. 10 consecutive years of being the top 10% performers in my company. How did it happen for someone who didn't have any prior marketplace experience to accomplish all this? It is by the grace of God. God is my paymaster. And God is your paymaster as well. And he determines and he alone determines how much he wants to give to me, how much he wants to give to you. I have learned, and not just learned, but I'm convinced totally that God is my paymaster. And we will never lack. We will always have more than enough. Since God is our paymaster, he determines our portion in life. Knowing this truth, we can truly flourish and we can live in contentment with whatever he has given and entrusted to us. Amen? The third foundation of financial, well, of financial wellness is that we are to account to God for our portion. We are to account to God for our portion. Luke chapter 12 verse 48 says, Much, much is required from those to whom much is given, for their responsibility is greater. So before you ask the Lord for more, Ask the Lord as well for wisdom to manage the more. Amen? See, the first truth has taught us that God owns everything. And we are merely just stewards, managers of what God has given to us. And with the portion that we are divinely apportioned, the Bible is explicitly clear that one day we will be called into account, called to account for, that, for all that 
we have done with what he has given to us. In other words, we will be held responsible for what we have. You know, if we are blessed with talents, wealth, knowledge, time, and the like, it is expected that we use all this to glorify God and to benefit others. You see, we are a conduit of God's grace and provision so that the church can be built and its missions to make disciples can be fulfilled. Through us, we become a channel of God's blessing to others. Loving others in times of need and loving unbelievers so that they may see the love of God through us and through our generosity. You see, God has not planned for us to build barns and even bigger barns to store our wealth only to realize one day that we, what we, the all, for all that we have accumulated are but temporal. You know, just a month ago, you know, my father-in-law passed away. And during his retirement years, one of the favorite things that he would love to do is to go on walks in his estate. And whenever he would go on walks in his estate, you know, there will be things that he see, you know, that are, are of value to him but are discarded by people. And what he will do is that he will start to accumulate such, some of these items. He will pick them up, bring it home, put it inside his room, store it nicely, you know, categorize them screws, staples, and whatsoever. After he passed on, all it took was just one day for the family to clear everything away. You see, the measure of life, I believe and I'm convicted, is not by the amount of things that we have. The, life, the measure of life is not by the measure, but, but it's not by the amount of value of things that we have but truly by how well we have stewarded the resources for God's kingdom and glory. And this is what Jesus said to the cross. Beware. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. You know, friends, let us not fall into the trap and deception of the enemy. See, we are merely stewards. Managers of that which God has given to us and the things actually belong to God. And let us not hold on to what is not ours, but let us choose to be rich towards God and towards others. So how then do we then steward God's resources properly? Here are five practical ways, and the first is to spend below your means. Spend below your means. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11 it states this, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money, little by little, makes it grow. You know, it sounds easy and logical to spend below our means, right? Sounds logical. But yet I know of many who spend more than they earn, putting expenses all on credit. You know, we live in a crowd culture where we are bombarded by constant advertisement. Think about iPhone 15, Yeah. <laughs> and our culture shows discontentment. You know, keep upgrading. You know, iPhone 14 is not enough. You need to upgrade to the latest iPhone 15. You know, the, four, the Z4 is not enough. You need to upgrade to the Z4 5. It shows discontentment. You know, we are thought that we can and we should buy whatever we want, regardless of the consequences. 
That's what we are told. But ultimately, ultimately, it is, it is a choice. A choice not just to live within our means, but to live below our means. And one practical way, often that I tell my clients, is to create a, a, an effective budget and stick to it. It will truly give you greater control over your finances. And the second way we can steward God's resources is to be wise with debt. Be wise with debt. <clears throat> Proverbs 22 verse 7 says this, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower, the borrower is slave to the lender. You see, debt always mortgages the future. Debt always mortgages the future. It will always come calling. And it can lower our standard of living in the future. You know, we must make sure that we don't presume upon the future and that we understand the true cause of debt. See, just a couple of years ago, we had enjoyed persistent low interest rate environment, uh, low interest rate. And what I saw for some of my friends and, and clients, they took loans on almost everything from cars to properties to insurance policies and even leveraging on investments. However, just in the last two years, we have seen, that we have seen interest steadily creeping upwards. And for some of my clients, they are paying two to three times more just in interest alone. See, debt in itself is not wrong if we understand how to leverage on it to our advantage. One principle that I've stuck by since getting married is that other than our home, we will never buy anything on credit or installment. So courts and Harvey Norman doesn't like people like me. And this includes car ownership. And you see, because I believe that affordability to us means that we are able to pay off the cost of the item with what we already have in our bank account. Be wise with that. The third way is that we must plan for financial margin. Plan for financial margin. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 8 states that the ant stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. See, how many of you here have experienced unexpected expenses like a car breakdown or a big ticket you know, expense like a home repair? Or worse still, how about an unexpected illness or a job loss? See, when we fail to build sufficient liquidity for short-term emergencies, we are creating a crack in our financial foundation. And this principle applies to having a solid emergency fund of at least one year, one year of your expenses parked in some high, highly liquid account. In addition, being properly insured is vitally important to provide for emergencies. Number four, set long-term goals. Set long-term goals. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14 says, Paul says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which Christ Jesus is calling me. See, the apostle had one clear goal in life, just one, to reach the end of the race that God has called him to, despite the many sufferings and ordeals that he had to go through. He maintained focus and pressed on. Likewise, for us, when it comes to life and finances, we must possess a long-term view of life and thus set long-term goals. See, setting long-term goals helps in providing direction, purpose, and shapes our thinking. And it's also a statement of what we believe 
God wants us to do with his, with his resources. If you have not already started, start investing a portion of your savings. You know, for important milestones like retirement, getting married, buying a house, even for some of us, the possibility of answering a full-time call. And lastly, we can steward God's resources by giving generously. So give generously. Give generously to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 to 8. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously, generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. See, God, Paul exhorts you and I to flourish as his representatives here on earth. And we do so by giving generously. By giving generously to God and to others. And the promise to us is that God will in turn provide for all that we need. As our income rises over the course of time and experience, let us, not let us consider not to increase our standard of living, but our standard of giving. Give to God, not just from the excesses, but from a sacrificial place, just as our Lord has set the example for us. Come to service every week, prepared to give. Not just the first week of the month, the second week, the third week, the fourth week. Come to service every week, prepared to give. Don't limit, don't limit it to a percentage. For we have learned this morning that everything that we have, everything that we have belongs to God. And as I bring this message to a close, now there's a story of a rich young man who came to Jesus. Although he was rich, the Bible tells us that he was incomplete. You know, sometimes we think that a rich man is complete, he has everything. But the Bible tells us otherwise, that this rich young man was incomplete. And so he asked Jesus, Jesus, how can I obtain eternal life? How? And so our Lord challenged him, give everything away and come follow after me. This, this rich young man could not do it. For he believed that what he owned belonged to him. And he was also very unwilling to follow Jesus wholeheartedly in his life, in his finances. And thus, he walked away the same incomplete person as when he came to Jesus. Now friends, this morning, this message is true, is about, is an, is an invitation. An invitation by our Lord to come follow Him once again wholeheartedly. So acknowledge that everything that you and I have truly belongs to Him. And oftentimes, we are not able to give. It's because we hold too tight to the things that we think we own. And there's no more place that Jesus can have in our hearts. Acknowledge that Jesus is the creator and he owns everything. Let us surrender our lives. Let us surrender everything that we have to Jesus, our finances, our everything, our lives, our time. Everything that we have belongs to him. 
We're going to invite all of us across this place to close your eyes and to bow your heads. And I believe that this is a precious time. A time of a divine exchange. And sometimes we come before the Lord, we ask, what can I give to you? The Lord this morning is asking for our hearts. I'd like to pray for three groups of people. The first group is this. You might say, Kelvin, you know, I hear you that God desires for me to be a good steward. But then, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know that I just lost my job. I have a huge debt to pay. I can't seem to find another job. My savings are depleting. And I can't repay my debt. And people are hounding me. The banks are hounding me. Friends, I may not be in the same situation as you. But I know what it means to be poor. I know what it means to have nothing. When my dad abandoned my mom and my brother and myself, I know what it means to have bread every single day and sardine just to have a different flavor. See, God knows your pain. God knows what you're going through. And today, if you're going through a financial area that you desire for God to intervene, I'd like for you to lift up your hands and say, God, I'm inviting you right now to intervene in my situation with no one looking around. Just lift up your hands. No one looking around. Lift up your hands and say, God, I'm a candidate for you to intervene in my situation. I see some hands going up. Thank you so much for... Thank you so much. Hallelujah. The second group of people I'd like to pray for are those of you who have been financially blessed. And I count myself as one who has been financially blessed. You know, you are blessed with a good job, a strong disposable income. But yet this morning, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit to steward your resources better. It is your desire to be wise with your spending. And it's your desire also to be generous to God, to be generous to the church, to be generous towards others. And if that is you, lift up your hands as well. Lift up your hands as well. If you desire to be a better steward of God's resources, lift up your hands and say, God, I'm a candidate. Hallelujah. Thank you for those hands. Thank you so much. And the last group are those of you who desire just simply to love God more. Your desire is just to love God more, but somehow you know that sometimes money takes a first place in your heart. This morning you're saying to God, God, you determine the portion in my life. I just want you to take complete control in my life. I want you to be first in my heart above all else. Lift up your hands as well and say, God, this is me. I don't want money to be to take the first place. I don't want mammon to be my God. I want you to be my God because I know that you are the one who owns everything and you determine the portion in my life. I see many hands across this entire place. I'm going to invite all of us just to stand across the entire place. You know, this is a time we're going to respond to the Lord. If you, if you, if you have, lift up your hands. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. Come out to these altars. The pastors, the leaders will take some time to pray for you as Pastor Victor leads us in this song Give Me Jesus let's come and worship the Lord with all our heart with all our mind with all our soul so give me Jesus hallelujah give me Jesus hallelujah you can have all this world you can have all this world 
Just give me Jesus. Hallelujah. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Hallelujah. You can have all this world. Hallelujah. There are many of you who lift up your hands. I'm just going to invite you to come. You know, this morning is, is a time of divine exchange. Don't miss out this moment where God can do something special and powerful in your hearts. So, without waiting for someone else beside you, just come to the altars. I believe God is calling you to come. Give me Jesus. Hallelujah. Give me Jesus. So give me Jesus. Give me Jesus, you can have all this world, you can have all this world, just give me
come on one last time church just tell it to him with all your heart Jesus.